You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Last week we have been, well, every week we've been talking about building the house. Pastor Darren spoke last week here. What an incredible message. Oh my goodness. I listened to it on the podcast and I was like up out of my seat responding because it was so good. So I can only imagine that that, what it was actually like to be here. And Pastor Simo, same thing. I heard incredible reports from uh, the central campus as well. So we've got both the people who were preaching last week in the house this morning. So I'm going to follow on from them. And Jesus loves building the house. He loves the house of God. The house of God is the one thing that God said we will build. He will build and he's what he's passionate about. And so we We want to make sure that we honour the Bride of Christ, the church, and we want to this morning continue on with that message. And the synopsis that um, Pastor Darren gave last week about Nehemiah was really cool. Did you like that? And so if if you weren't here, and I'm going to do like... So he did a summary of Pastor Keith from the week before, and I'm going to do a summary of his from last week. So, you know, you've got the really shortened version now um, and about Nehemiah, because we're in the book of Nehemiah. And so we find ourselves where Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And uh, king, the king of Persia, so had, he liked Nehemiah. He had, Nehemiah had favour with him. And he was a Jew. Nehemiah was a Jew. And the Persians actually took over from the Babylonians. So the, the Babylonians had taken the remnant of the Jewish people from Israel into the into Babylonia. Babylonia, that's not a word. Babylon. <laughs> into, it's a good word, right? Into, you can use that. Babylon. They've taken them to Babylon and then Persia took over. So now we've got the Persians doing their thing. And what happened was after all this happened, they allowed some people to go back and start to rebuild Jerusalem because it was going, you know, there was no one there. It was largely left unattended. There was nothing happening. And so it was going to ruin. So they were allowed to go back, but they weren't getting a whole lot done because the wall that was around Jerusalem was wrecked. There was, you know, holes in it. There was like it wasn't able to actually contain the city itself. And so the and Nehemiah gets word that, in fact, the city gates have been been burned down. They're gone. And so Nehemiah gets word that the people were in trouble because of this problem. So they're unable to be restored. They're unable to be rebuilt because they've got nothing protecting them. There's nothing there. Um, And so the long and short of it is Nehemiah gets favour from the king of Persia to go back and to assist and to help to build this wall. Are we there? We're all happy. We know where we're at. Okay. So chapter 3, which we're not going to go into in Nehemiah, talks about how that happened, how they began to strategize and how they began to get different people doing different things to build, rebuild the wall, to start to do that. And so we, we're, we're there and we're talking about that. Now, I find this whole story pretty unbelievable, pretty inspiring. Nehemiah felt called of God to go and moved to go and help a people, to find... The, to go and to help these people reach the destiny that God had for their lives, to actually fulfill the call of God on his life, to step out of something he was comfortable in and into some unknown area to be able to fulfill God's calling on his life. 
He went against the odds in asking for the favour of the king and, you know, put himself out there and was granted that favour and was therefore able to go and do what God, had call, what God was calling him to. How many of us want to fulfil the call of God on our lives? Yeah, I've got one hand. One hand, Damien's, Damien's in, two hands up the back. Have I got any more? Can I get more? <laughs> Let's see, two, three. Come on, yeah, yeah. Whoa. I'm not a, I'm obviously not an auctioneer. However, <laughs> it's really important that we recognise that we all deep within us have a desire to fulfil the call that God's got on our lives. You know, last week, Pastor Darren talked about the fact that we need to see ourselves from God's perspective. We need to see ourselves the way He designed and created us as builders of people, as people who restore hope to other people, as people who have a mission to accomplish while we are on this earth, to arise, be activated, rather than just get caught up in the mundane stuff of the world and to get caught up in the everyday stuff, we actually need to arise and be activated in the call that God has for our lives. And here we find ourselves. God, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you are here, that you want to talk to us. Thank you that you gave us minds to understand, to decipher, Lord Jesus, the word that you've given to us and that you will communicate to us this morning the message that you have from your word through the Holy Spirit. Give us revelation. Speak to us today and help us to know you more intimately. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to read. And we've got a lot of scripture to cover today and I don't have very much time. So if I go too fast, just like do this or wave at me or something, I'll probably just think you're waving at me and you're really friendly because I'll have forgotten by then. But uh, we're going to do our very best to get through what I believe God has for us this morning. So chapter four in Nehemiah, it's going to be on the screen. And so you can follow along there if you've got your Bibles. I'm reading from the NIV version. Sometimes if you've got another version, that can make it complicated when we're going from one to the other. Um, but I'm reading from NIV and we're beginning at the first verse. And it says this, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, so the, this book is being written by Nehemiah, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building... <laughs> Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Okay, bring it on, buddy. Hear us. This is back to Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. 
But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard night and day to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. There's a lot in that scripture, right? That's just a verse 11. Oh, you can't see it all. Sorry about that. Nearly. Now, it is important that we recognize the context that we are dealing with. So Nehemiah is literally building a wall. There is a literal building of the wall that he was called to do. Which, and to help the people of God in Jerusalem to therefore rebuild and be restored. So today, we can take from that great big lessons, lots of lessons in Nehemiah. You know, we ourselves are called to build the church, that which Jesus loves, which we talked about before, he's told us to build. Now, sometimes our building may not be a literal building of a wall. We may not have to actually get bricks and, and whatever other things you have to get to build a wall. <laughs> Let's not ever tell my husband that I said that, okay? Um, but the way that we are building the church right now looks a little bit different to the way that Nehemiah was building back then, but we can take some great lessons away. When we are walking in the will of God, when we are doing what we are called to do, each and every one of us will build the Father's house. We will. It's a guarantee. If we are doing what God's placed on our life, what he has put a passion in our heart to do, we will build the Father's house. We will build the church, no matter what context your calling is in, no matter what. We will each contribute. Sometimes it will be more obvious than others, but we are all doing it. And I've got some examples here. Some of us are going to do it with, by ministry within the church. We'll be called to be pastors. That's going to happen. Others are going to finance the Father's house. Others are going to be great evangelists who will populate the church. Others will raise families who love and serve in the house. Others will speak life to those who do not believe that the church holds value. Some will pray diligently for the church and see it rise and grow. Some will serve the community and build the name of the church. Some will serve the house, encourage people, lead people, grow people within the church. Some will organise and administrate to bring order to what may otherwise be chaos in the house of God. So many ways that we build the house of God. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're called for, called to, you will build the house. You might feel like you weren't listed there. I can guarantee you were. Come and see me later and we'll talk about that. But I read something this week because when we're builders of the house, we're going to face opposition just like Nehemiah did. And I read something that said this, really challenged me. I hope it challenges you too. As long as you live with one foot in the world, living according to the world's values and for the world's goals, Satan won't trouble you. You can go to church. You can pray. You can read your Bible. He won't mind. But the minute you wake up from your spiritual lethargy, shake off the worldly mindset 
and commit yourself to radical obedience to Jesus Christ, you will encounter spiritual opposition. You will encounter spiritual opposition. I think that the major lesson that comes from Nehemiah chapter 4 is that when we are doing what God's called us to do, when we step out in faith to do what God's asked of us, we will encounter opposition. Let's just put it out there. We're going to, we are going to see it. It doesn't matter what we do, we will face an inevitable opposition. James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Consider it pure joy. Who just laughed over there? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. (laughs) Opposition comes at us in a variety of ways. Let's just put it out there. But let me tell you right now, from the beginning of this message, I want you to have hope because opposition doesn't need to take us out. Opposition is going to be there. We just need to know that it's there, be aware that it's coming and know how to handle it. Understand what we need to do when we face it. Recognise it, see the opposition, face it, And be on the offensive, ready for it. And we're going to look at how we can do that this morning. First of all, I want to just explain to you a couple of ways that we can see in Nehemiah of how opposition might come against us. And the first thing that it will attack is our identity. That is the first thing that we will be opposed by in whatever. You know what I'm saying. I lost my words. Nehemiah 4, verses 1 to 2. That very first part of the scripture says, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Have you ever heard that question asked of you? Maybe not about the feeble Jews. But have you ever heard of heard the question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Our identity is key. When the enemy tries to question Nehemiah and the Jews and word gets back to them that they are being ridiculed, they find out about it. They're ridiculed, they're questioned, they're put down. And then Nehemiah says in verse 4, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. What a horrible thing to feel like you are despised. You know, they felt that their identity was being trodden on, that they were being pushed down, that they were being ridiculed, mocked. You know, this week I had actually had quite a few moments, maybe a million moments, where (laughs) maybe a million, is that too many? I didn't feel like it this week. Where I felt like something that I was passionate about, something that I was called to, something that I felt God had put on my life was called into question. A call that I had on my life, I felt like I was being attacked, that I was being pulled, that my identity and who I believe God has called me to be was being pushed down, trodden on. And this idea came up in my mind, maybe, maybe you're not called to do that. Maybe that's not really who you are. 
And then I realised what I was preaching on this week and I'm like, ah, oh, good. Yeah, all right, God, let's come back. Let's come back. But you know what? What I felt like I was called to was up in the air again because it happens often. Because when the enemy knows, the enemy knows that if he can make us believe that we are less than we are, make us think that our identity is not solid or not good enough, then he will stop us in our tracks doing exactly what God's called us to and fulfilling the call of God on our lives. That's what's going to happen. Nehemiah was not a feeble Jew. He was strong in character. Who else would pick up from somewhere he was comfortable give up everything and go to a place where he was going to face opposition, where he didn't know what it was going to look like to rebuild an incredible people so that they would fulfill the destiny on their lives. Who else would do that? Not a feeble Jew. No way. He wanted to see a whole nation changed. And that is not feeble. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, people, You are a chosen people even, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. More than that, let me tell you what we are. We are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Children of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, abundantly loved, graciously accepted, set free by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed and purposed and hidden in Christ. Come on. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters, beloved of God. Wow. And of this we can be confident. No dart that the enemy throws against us, against our identity, will stick when we are confident about who we are. We listen to to God, not anybody else. And another area that we will see ourselves find opposition in is our ability. Again, in that same part of the Scripture, they are questioning what they're doing. And we often hear this, what on earth are you doing? What are you doing? There's other people who are better than you at that. You can't possibly think you're going to succeed. You are going to fail if you even try. The enemy would have us think that we can't do or we are not able to do what we've been called to do. Nehemiah's Nehemiah's ability and ability of the people of Israel was called into question because if the enemy can make you think you can't do something or that someone else can do it better than you, then he will stop you even trying. How many times have we stopped trying to do something because we think that we can't do it, or we think that somebody can do it better than us? Well, guess what? God, I'm telling you right now, I've got a little secret, and I'm going to tell you about it right now. That's not true. The enemy's tricking you. The enemy's deceiving you into thinking that you are unable to do something that God has equipped and called you to do. When God does the equipping, no one can stop you. Let me tell you, we've all done it. We've all seen things happen around our world where people have given up because they think that they're not good enough or they think that they are unable to do it. We need to be the people who bring them back to knowing that they are able because God has called them. When you stop what you're doing, what you are called to do, you stop contributing to the kingdom. And when you stop contributing to the kingdom, you stop building the Father's house. The third way that I want us to think 
about this morning about what opposes us is when the opposition attacks our strategy. Strategy and ability are pretty closely aligned. And we can see in Nehemiah verse 7, we're talking about they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. The New Living Translation says they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. How do you think you can do it? It's the how. Strategy is the how. They try to in Nehemiah, they try to cause confusion, which leads to an which, when confusion is caused, would lead to an inability to actually stick to the strategy that we have. And strategy is important. We can get in there and give something a go, but if we don't have strategy, it usually will cause a pretty big mess. Or, you know, I, I can just imagine now if Nehemiah was there and he was like, "Okay, guys, we're going to build the wall." Grab some tools over there. There's some bricks over there. Go! Imagine what that would have looked like. We would have had like the tiniest wall over here because I would have wanted to see over the top to be able to like see what was coming. We would have had like this massively tall wall over here because somebody was super tall and wanted to be really protected. We would have had this little gap over here because my daughter would have made it and she would have wanted like a little hidey hole to be able to come in and out of whenever she wanted. And so when we don't have strategy, when there's no cohesion... We lose, what we, were, we lose what we were actually trying to set out to accomplish in the first place. We need strategy. And so the enemy will try to bring confusion to cause us to lose the strategy that God's given us to do what we're called to do, to build the church. You know, we can do a lot of things, but as a church, we need to band together and do the things that God has called us to. Not every little thing we will do at Victory, let me tell you now. Not every little thing we will do at Victory because there are other people around this city who are doing amazing things as well. There are other churches in our city who are doing incredible things and they have a strategy and God puts all the strategies together and all of a sudden if we do what each of us are called to do and purpose to do, then we actually are starting to affect a whole city because we're covering it all. We are all, and when we as the church, as we here do our part, when we do the one thing that, that, when we do the how that God has told us to do, that's when we start to be effective as the body of Christ, as the church. Oh man, I'm so, so, so far off my notes and I don't know where I'm up to. The enemy wants to cause confusion in the strategy and plans because where there is confusion, there's no cohesion and we cause a big mess. There we go. We're back there. But the thing is that God is good and he gives us strategy when we find opposition, right? He gives us the how-to. Now, I'm only going to cover two. There are plenty of other strategies that we find in the Bible, but I'm just going to cover the two that we find in Nehemiah and also in the chapter from in chapter one from James, that first part. We see opposition coming from a lot of places. We see it externally. We've all had external opposition, right? Where we've seen somebody or something come against what it is that we are doing, that what we feel like God has called us to. And so we see that there is ex, there's lots of external uh, sources that will oppose us. And we see that in Nehemiah, lots of different people. 
It's direct opposition who have, from people who maybe have a different belief system, from the enemy himself who just wants to get in and oppose because that's what he does to take us out. Other times the external com- opposition may come from people who we love and know really well. And we have to be aware of that. That happens. We're all human. We've all probably opposed somebody that we maybe shouldn't have. We're human. But we need to accept that, that sometimes that's where it's going to come from. And just be aware of that as we do what God... That's why it's so important to have our identity grounded and to have the what we're doing grounded, to know what we're doing. Because when we hear from God, it doesn't matter what the closest people say to us. We still know respectfully, that no, no, God's called me to this. And we have people who we, wise people who we talk to about that. Is, it, is, is this right? Is, is this really what God, is, does this line up with God's word? Or is this just some random thing that I've decided I'm going to do for God, but actually it's not what God, we have to have wise people who we can bounce ideas off. But when you know, you know. And there are other times when you are going to be your own worst enemy. The, the opposition is going to be an internal opposition. And I have faced that so many times. You know, 18 months ago, I was almost taken out because of the opposition I was finding in my mind. I went through what I can only call a, a almost burnout stage in my life. And in my head, my ability, my identity, my strategy was just gone. I had nothing. I felt like I had just like lost every sense of who I was and I just and the thoughts just kept coming up in my mind, you cannot do this anymore. You are not called to this anymore. You're not good at this anymore. You're obviously not in the right thing. You need to get out. You need to stop what you're doing. You need to just stop. And thankfully I had some really great people around me who spoke truth into my world. But sometimes we are our own worst enemy and the internal opposition can actually be the hardest because we have to be able to get over ourselves and get to God and allow God to speak into our minds, to renew our thoughts, to help us to understand, stop, that's not who you are, that's who you think you might be or that's what you might believe to be true right now, but that's not who I've called you to be, that's not who I've made you, that's not who I have created you to be. We need to listen to God more than anything in that place. I even had well-meaning friends who said, you should just probably stop. Just get out. Maybe you shouldn't work as a pastor anymore. Maybe it's new. Maybe that's just like well-meaning. They wanted the best for me. But I knew that that wasn't what, I knew that God still had me called. I knew that there was still a purpose on my life in this and I just needed to find the way out in that moment of opposition, in that moment of darkness, and God showed me the way. We see it in Nehemiah verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Discouragement comes, my friends. Discouragement, disappointment, disillusionment, it all comes at us. And we need to know that it's going to be there. It will raise its ugly head. And we need to know what to do when it does. And the keys that we can find here are two things. First, it's prayer. And second, it's perseverance. Prayer and perseverance. 
We see in verse 4 and verse 9 in Nehemiah, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Go to God. Tell Him what's going on. Tell Him about the opposition. You know what? He knows the opposition better than you know the opposition. What? No way. He knows what to do. Hear us, O God. And in verse 9, He says, But we pray to our God. But we pray to our God. The first thing we do is go to God. He's our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of need. He is the one who shows us the way, who gives us strength, who comes to the rescue. God and God alone. He will use a variety of different answers to those prayers. Variety. But He knows what we need more than we know. We can do things that are wise, but He is the one that will show us what the wise things are that we should do. James tells us to seek God for wisdom in chapter 1, verse 5. You know, amongst the confusion, God will bring clarity. There's lots of C's here. I like this bit, so you better listen to this bit. You can take this away. Amongst the confusion, God will bring clarity. Amongst the chaos, God will reveal confirmation. Can we just know that this morning? Sometimes the opposition we face is a clear, direct confirmation that God has called you into whatever it is that you are doing. You need to take that opposition as encouragement to keep going. And amongst the conflict, God will help us to continue. Which leads us to the second thing that James tells us is when we face trials and we've said, let's not forget that we're going to face them, all right? When we face trials... We're to persevere. We need to continue. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, despite all the opposition that Nehemiah faced, he finished the wall. And we're going to talk more about it next week, so I don't want to spoil the story. P.S. He finished the wall. Um, (laughs) But he continued to push on. Verse 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. That shows perseverance. That shows this desire to push through the opposition, to say, yes, we can see that there is opposition, but we will not let it take us out. We will not let it change our calling. We will not let it change what we are doing because we know that God has called us to it. Don't let opposition take you out. Let it spur you on. Let it spur you on. Face the opposition and let it keep you going. You've got this. God's got you and you have got this. Don't back down. James 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. What an incredible picture. What an incredible picture. Whether the opposition is questioning your identity, your ability, 
your strategy, whether it's coming from an internal source or an external source, matters not. Know that you can continue. Know that you are able. Know who God has called you to be. Know that there is a call that only you can fulfill on your life. Allow the opposition to bring confirmation, clarity and perseverance. What opposition are you facing today? What opposition are you facing today? There might be some of you here who have stopped doing something because the opposition that you faced was too hard to handle at the time. And you know what? There's no condemnation here. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.